Pitchpalooza is a quarterly, trimesterly opportunity. It's a chance for our internal employees to get in front of the entire company and pitch their wild and absurd product ideas or content ideas. And we've seen everything from somebody's pitch prescription to a new model. We've seen people pitch new verticals. We've seen things like action figures and <laughs> chores. And it's truly unbelievable to see just the range of ideas that come out of it. It really becomes like performance art, like seeing people <laughs> yeah, get yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah. And like, it's inclusive, right? You're getting, you're allowing people to come into the process that in a lot of other places, people keep pretty close to the chest, yeah. really allowing the amazing creative people that we have here get up there and showcase their abilities, as well as just bring in new and wild ideas that you would never come up with otherwise, because there's an entirely different perspective that you never thought of. Welcome to the Culture Gooder podcast with Stephen Leese and Sean Tinney. This podcast is a behind the shades look at creating and changing culture inside of Gooder sunglasses. You can live with the status quo, you can challenge the status quo, or you can do what we do at Gooder and status the quo challenge. Yo, you're listening to a six-part series where I interview each of our department heads. At Gooder, we call our department heads flock stars. Enjoy. We have a very special guest with us today, my good friend, colleague, and all things Minnesota mentor, Mike Eddy. Mike, how's it going? Oh, going great. Happy to be here. Mike is our flock star of our creative herd. To the outside world, he's known as the creative director. So before we get into Mike's role and team details, Mike, tell us a story about you growing up that led to the person you are today. Well, first, we got some business to cover here. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, we got to address the man bun. I, <laughs> I, I, feel like, I feel like we need a moment of silence for the fallen man bun here, because this is, this is big time. So, I mean, I think we need to look at each other for at least three seconds. Dead in the eye? Dead in the eye. Glorious. Oh, All yeah. right. Okay. So, uh, Thank, yeah. Thanks for not letting I, I me just through that. that. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. We, we need to honor it. Um, so, a story about myself growing up. I mean, the person I am. It's got to be uh, about my time in jazz band, seventh grade. All right. This is, this is a train wreck. So, sixth grade, I started a, a band with my friends. Um, and so, I picked up the electric bass, like one does. So, this is like right, right in the area, the era of pop punk. So like good Charlotte, Blink-182, <laughs> like I'm killing it. So when I was a small town, word gets out and I get to seventh grade and one of my friends comes up to me who's in jazz band and he's like, uh, hey, like one, our, you know, our basis for jazz band graduated. We're looking for a new one. You know, are you interested? And at that point, I can play like three songs, like one good Charlotte, two Blink-182. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm a God, like I got this. Like, I'm like, absolutely, I'm in. Like, mind you, I have no idea how to read music. I can't read music. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. I know, like, every good boy does fine and, like, bass or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to make this work. Like, no big deal. Like, get into the first day of rehearsal. And it becomes incredibly apparent right away that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> like, no clue. And so, fortunately, there was, like, an upright bassist who was there. So, like, there was bass coming out of the section. But to mask this, I just turned my bass down all the way. <laughs> and... For literally like a full on month, I just, I danced. I just pretended I had a whole <laughs> act going for a full month. And then we get to the first show and I've been, I've been masking this. Nobody knows. They put me in the front row to the right a little bit on a stool. So like I'm on display and I mean, I'm terrified. I have no idea what I'm doing. I can't read music. And it's like family. It's like the whole school curtains open and I dance. I just put my act on. I am lying to everybody. This goes on for three months. I play like five shows and like. Any con man, in my gut, I'm like, man, this can't go on forever. And it doesn't. 
So uh, <laughs> we were at one rehearsal. It was a super early morning rehearsal for whatever reason. And uh, we're going over it. And, and obviously, like, the crowd hasn't showed up yet. So we're doing the rehearsal. Super early. I'm out of it. And so I get in my seat, and we're doing the rehearsal. And, like, my normal routine is to turn my bass all the way down. I somehow fucked up and turned it all the way up. <laughs> and so the conductor goes, like, all right, here we go. One, two, three. And, and I do my dance, right? I'm, I'm playing. I think I got it. Like, I'm putting on a good show. Immediately, this this the conductor like bless his heart. He's like, everybody stop! What is going on here? And he looks at me. He's like, Mike, uh, why don't you take this from the top? And I just have to look at him. I'm like, and the whole band's looking at me. <laughs> Everybody's looking at me, and they're like, and I just I'm like, I got to be honest. I have no idea what's going on here. <laughs> and so this is going on. And he's like, the look on his face was shocked because we're going like we have a live show in 20 minutes. Like, and he's like, all right, so just this song. And I'm like. No, in general, like just <laughs> this every was your time to come clean. Yes. And yeah. I was like, and that ended my jazz band career. <laughs> so uh, I still don't know how to read music. Uh, but key learning there was uh, show up prepared, yeah. which is a core part of a core tenant of mine. And then uh, know your limits. The fake it till you make it bullshit like that did not work out here. I oh. thought I was going to figure it out, but oh. I never want to feel that having like 50, like 40 kids looking back at you in pure shock is uh, devastating. That story is incredible. Yeah. What was the name of uh, your like punk band uh, that you had? Oh had? man, uh, Elsewhere Seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like. Nobody knows why. I think it was because like we won't, like when we turned seventeen, we would go elsewhere. But like also, we're not even adults then. Yeah. So like it, it was painful. Oh, but we, it was good times. That was gold. Yeah. So to tell our listeners about your role, your department, lame, t- lame title, fun title, you know, all the, all the, all the stuff. Yeah, uh, so I head up the creative team here. Yeah. Uh, lame title is, I don't know, head of creative. Fun title is Scheme and Demon. Yeah. That's all, I actually got to think about redoing that because it's been a while, but uh, I'm always scheming and I've been known to be a little bit of a demon when it comes to moving launch stuff around, so it still works. Yeah. Uh, so the creative herd is comprised of four flocks or four teams. You have, I'm going to go fun names first, yeah. the names, but you have the doodle division, which is design. Yeah. You got the copy coven, which is copy. Uh, you have the Department of Dreams, which is photo, video, film. And then as of recent, we have added the Illuminati, which uh, heads our product direction and our product management for our key categories, which is uh, inline, limited, and licensing. Nice. Yeah. So your 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 herd, your department as a whole, what's y'all's focus uh, for 2023? Yep. Uh, the big thing revolves around storytelling and becoming masters of that. I think with the primary focus being around more agility and being quicker because I think just as you see the world, you know, as the world is now ingesting content and taking in content, being able to create more content quicker is paramount to your success as a brand. Yeah. And we have some amazing people here, some very creative people. And so being able to capitalize that on that quickly and efficiently is uh, huge and a major focus for us. Yeah, for sure. How many people are uh, in the creative herd? Do you know? Uh, 22 total. Yeah, for our, our listeners out there, we produce the vast majority of our content in-house. We obviously use uh, some outside help at, at times, but it's quite, a, it's quite a lot. So all the cool stuff you see is coming from us mostly. Yep. What is your day-to-day like? Great question. Uh, yeah, I mean, at a high level, there's a lot of feedback, a lot of reviews, a lot of guidance and direction. So kind of a mix of, you know, I think... I'm sure on this podcast, right? I mean, I know on this podcast, you've talked about the Tuesday, Thursday meeting, yeah. right? So getting into the weeds on Tuesday, Thursday. So design review, looking at product concepts coming in, looking at design, aesthetics, content reviews, looking at what we're putting out from a video and film perspective, 
copy reviews, weeklies one-on-one, and then really using the Monday, Wednesday, Friday free time to kind of zoom out and look at the overarching picture. Like, yeah. what direction can I provide to the team? How can I make sure that we are living into our values, we are providing the direction and just executing against our goals and targets? How how many days a month are we like shooting content, like photo shoots, video shoots, off the top of your head? Ooh, great question. Uh, we do roughly like 59 total shoots a year, so... At least one a week, yeah. right? And then obviously that averages out to more than once a week. But you know, some weeks it's one, other weeks it's two, and there's a varying level of degree of what a shoot means, right? There's yeah. like tabletop, there's Hollywood style, but for the most part, it's at least once a week. How often are you on set? Uh, barely ever, to be yeah. quite honest. Yeah. I think instilling a lot of trust in, in Barrett and our content team to execute on. I mean, I definitely provide insight around like direction, but I mean. To be quite honest, I don't know what I would do on set. Like, yeah. I don't know how to, I, I don't know how to direct. You like, sit I, and direct. I, I, I would just get in the way. Yeah. yeah. So bring my chair and just set up and yeah. You'd plug along. in your bass, you would turn it down <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you would just dance. That would, that's what I do. That's kind of my job yeah, here, actually. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I do. You're outed. Yeah. Uh, what's the hardest part about your role and what's the funnest part about your role? Hardest, um, oh man. Uh, well, the obvious, like the continual hard feedback and some of the tougher decisions around direction are you know, there's a lot of weight around that. And that's obviously difficult. Um, I think from a personal standpoint, um, it really, really around keeping my head above water. And what I mean by that is like, we do a lot of really fun and a yeah. lot of really cool things. And it's, and I really want to dive in and, and engage with that and, and have fun and sort of, you know, uh, make those things happen, but realizing like, I don't have the time. Yeah. Also, i just would get in people's way. Um, it's funny, Duncan, who you can't see here on the camera, like later this week, we're doing a photo shoot with Georgia aquarium. Yeah. Uh, we're doing it in March and I kind of approach him like, Hey, I really want to go on this shoot. Cause we're doing this like shark tank <laughs> yeah. dive. We're yeah. putting somebody in the shark tank and it became very apparent quickly that like they had a plan and a process. <laughs> and I was just like, Hey, I want to go. And I was like, Actually, A, I can't go, and B, I think I'm just getting in the way of this process. So, like, there's a level of, like, hey, I need to step back and provide direction and support. But, like, you know, obviously I pick my battles when it comes to certain projects. But just maintaining that head above water is big because as soon as I get submerged and overwhelmed, it's, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. It is a, it is a delicate balance here because we do such fun, wild shit. And you and I have been here since the beginning and you know, we've been able to do some crazy stuff. And then you realize, well, as a leader, I really want to do that stupid ass project, but really, yeah, really do. <laughs> I really want really to really do. want to die. I really want to get in that shark tank. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of personal discipline there. Yeah, for sure. We started working together in 2012 at Easton sports. Yep. And then, uh, I left in 2014. When did you leave? Uh, who? 15, 15, 15. And then you went and worked at AT&T before coming back here and being employee number one. Yep. So, you know, what did you learn from your experience, you know, at AT&T that benefited you here at Gooder? Yeah. Um, oh man, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, what's fascinating is like, I certainly worked with a, a lot of incredibly bright, smart people there. I mean, it was in New York, it was in 30 rock. There was like the sexiness to it, for Sure. but then you get into the subject matter of what you're working on. And it was content strategy for internet and it is soul crushing. You're like, <laughs> what am, what am I doing here? We would get on calls and there would be like 30 people who have the same job title and role as you do. And you'd have like existential crisis around like, who am I? Like, what am I, what am I doing here? Um, and so like, that was, that was soul crushing. But then, you know, that being said, what I did learn there is the importance of fine tuning the details. Cause AT&T is, I, mean, I don't know, fortune 10, fortune five company. Yeah. It's massive. So 
when you talk about building a plan or building a strategy, a simple mistake, you're not dealing with just tens people, you know, 10 people or a hundred people. It's hundreds of thousands to millions, right? Yeah. So like making sure that your strategy is airtight. And a lot of times we were targeting it down to the zip code. So ensuring that what you're saying to the customers at the right time is is huge. And I think I that is something I've taken with me for, you know, to today, I guess. Yeah. Forever. No, yeah. That, that that's interesting. You were there for a couple years. Mike, Mike also just did work for me for free uh, um, for the first few years of Gooder on, on the side. I always joke that I used up every favor I had starting Gooder. I always love how you like have to throw in the for free oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I really could have used that money. Like, yeah, you yeah. saw my apartment. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. you saw my, I mean, That's I could have used that. Used I that like money. how you remind me, like, I forgot. Like, no, you, I, I remember. <laughs> I was there. I, thanks. <laughs> what was it What was it like, uh, you know, when I called you, I think it was like March of 2017, and asking you to be employee number one? Yeah, uh, man, revisionist history there. I yeah. definitely was like, hey, I can't keep working for free. <laughs> and then you came back with, yeah. So yeah. it was it was shocking. I mean, I it was a mix of like uncertainty and incredible excitement. Right? Yeah. Like I loved working with you, Carrie, Ben, like having like solving those problems. It was incredibly rewarding and fulfilling and challenging. Um, that being said, like I would be lying if I said I knew it was going to work out. Yeah. Right. There was still, I mean, there was gear of the year and we had like, we'd had, we'd made a lot of progress yeah. um, and you had made a lot of progress, but there was still a lot of uncertainty that was a little unsettling. Um, but fortunately enough, like, you know, talking with you about it, talking with family members, I was in a position to take that risk. And um, I don't know, it was exciting. It was like totally a new chapter. And like I said, it, I was in a soul crushing job you know, peddling internet to people in Dallas, Texas. Like this was great. Yeah. So. I remember you telling me a story uh, about you talking to your parents about it and, and you know, your, your, your dad giving you information, like, like actually being really right. in support of this. Uh, what, what, what was that conversation like? Like, like re, re, remind it, remind me. Yeah. Uh, that was shocking to be yeah, quite honest. I remember that. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't really sure because, you know, you're leaving the steady job with, you know, solid pay and things were great. Um, but, you know, fortunately, like he had made a similar decision, which is actually fascinating is he actually left. He used to work for Southwestern Bell, which was AT&T. And then <laughs> so the similarity is actually kind of wild. Yeah. But he actually left uh, when they got bought and acquired and moved to Winona to, you know, start another company. So yeah. like the similarities were there, which I didn't really put together until he gave that feedback. And it was inspiring, right? Like, cause you know, like you want to imagine that like you're an independent adult and you don't need your parents' permission to do anything, <laughs> but like there is importance there. And, and so to receive that feedback and support made a huge difference and ultimately led to where I am now. Well, and the idea that you thought that they, they were going to zig and, and they zagged, right? Being like, they, yeah, they, right. they're like, no, stay at the study paid job. They're like, no, no, you should. No, you should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was pretty jarring. Oh, that, that's yeah. cool. To... Tell our listeners about Pitchapalooza and and why it's so important to the brand. Uh, oh yeah, I love Pitchapalooza. So uh, Pitchapalooza is a quarterly, trimesterly opportunity. It's it's uh, a chance for our internal employees to get in front of the entire company and pitch their wild and absurd product ideas or content ideas. And we've seen everything from somebody's pitch prescription to a new model. We've seen people pitch new verticals. We've seen things like action figures and <laughs> chores. And it's truly unbelievable to see just the range of ideas that come out of it. Um, and we talked about yeah. this, but one of my favorite parts is it really becomes like performance art, like seeing people <laughs> yeah, get yeah, into yeah, it. Yeah. And like, we've had like Kelly made like four minute video on 
ridiculous things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've seen people like get in costumes. We've seen Will, who did a DJ presentation mm-hmm. to pitch Rave Gooder. And I think for me, like looking at it, the like what's really cool about it is it's it's inclusive, right? You're getting you're allowing people to come in in the process that in a lot of other places people keep pretty close to the chest yeah. and precious, right? When you talk about product and creative, but really allowing the amazing creative people that we have here get up there and showcase their abilities as well as just, you know, bring in new and wild ideas that you would never come up with otherwise because there's an entirely different perspective that you never thought of. So, um it's really fun and really leans into that fun pillar of ours that I, you know, I, I love. Yeah, I, I do agree with, you see the side come out of people sometimes. Right. It's wild. I know Hannah at her Gooderstock presentation, her moon moment was, one of her moon moments was a Pitchapalooza. <laughs> yeah. You know, like it is, it's a thing that people here like love doing and it's a, since that room is full of joy when it's going on. Oh, it's hilarious. I mean, the pitches coming out of there and there's so, and then it just provides a nice, you know, um, chest of ideas and just uh, backlog and pipeline of amazing opportunities to create fun and connection. Do you have any sense of how many Hitchapaloozas we've done? How many people have pitched? Oh, I wish I did. I, I, I don't. Um, been going on for years now. I mean, it's been going on. I mean, we've at least done like 20, I want to say. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, you know, not all pitches get selected, yeah. but we've certainly used a majority of the launches just come from this, to be honest. So, yeah. I don't have exact numbers, but find out. (laughs) It's all good. So you're really good at making maps, like taking ideas into execution. You know, what's your secret? And maybe kind of talk about even like kind of the whole new box proposal, because that, that, that's a really, I think a grounding example. Yeah. Um, well, I think to start, like, you know, I'm fortunate enough to like have been here for a while. So I have seen the company grow and I kind of have a better understanding of how the company functions for now, yeah. how the company operates for now. So I think that eliminates a large barrier for a lot of people, right? Because when you start making a map, you kind of get stopped dead in your tracks yeah. when like, because you don't know where to go first. And so that's a huge advantage. I also just like as a five, like love getting into the weeds on projects like this making things come together and making things work. Um, and then secondly, you know, aside from all that, I think one thing that I... I try to do is is take full ownership of the project, which I think is really important in this situation. Yeah. And and part of that is accepting and addressing the failure ahead of time and letting people know that when the failure comes and if it comes, like you're going to be dialed. Like you have a plan and process, but understanding that, you know, you wear the brunt of that and understanding and giving people permission to fail in that process, but understanding that like the responsibility is on you to lead that. And um, I really take pride in that. And I think it's important anytime you make a map to take ownership and, yeah. and lead people through that. Because if you're uncertain about something and, and you're not confident in the direction, it kind of derails the entire process. So do you think that one of the reasons people maybe might struggle to go on and do the full work to take an idea from execution and to make a map is because is it, is it a defense mechanism? Is it something is it what do you think that is? Yeah, I mean. It's a great question. I, I don't know. I, I do think there is some fear of failure, right? Yeah. Like in a defense mechanism way, right? Because like ultimately when like when you change a process that has just for that has inherently worked for a long time, it's it's jarring. And the fear of something of taking something that works and changing it to something that doesn't work is terrifying, right? And so I think that prohibits a lot of people from taking that final step. And so I do think there is a layer of it that is maybe a defense mechanism, but um and I think it just comes with getting comfortable with understanding like, hey, like this may fail. And it's, I mean, I have 
led many a failed project. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Many a failed project. So um, I think that's just sort of like getting your reps in and understanding you'll learn from that. But um, I, I do think there's something to that for sure. I, I also think people just don't, they need to be shown how actually, because it is, it is, you know, we're, we, it is a fun, electrifying thing. It's also a lot of, it's also a lot of work to actually right. show people how, uh, maybe kind of talk about like the new box right. proposal process. Cause I think that's a really good example. For sure. Um, yeah. And I, I think what's interesting, uh, to preface this is Aaron and Marissa have done 99.9 oh, of this. So yeah. yeah so, um, but yeah, what started is so weekly we do a design review of which, you, you know, you're a part of. And prior to one meeting, I went up to Aaron who heads up our doodle division, our design team. And, just sort of asked, like, hey, what are we going through today? Like, what's the process? And he talked me through a bunch of things. And he says, well, then at the end, we're going to show a new box sample. And I said, interesting. Like, are you talking through the context? Are you talking through this? And he goes, no, we're just going to show the new box concept. And I'm like, I'm going to do you a favor. <laughs> cut this cut this from the presentation today. And here's what I want you to do. Because I Steven's going to come at you hard on this. Yeah, you don't come correct. Yeah, if you're not coming to correct. So yeah. here's what I want you to do. Take it back. You and Marissa put together the why, right? Put together the how, put together the context of the situation. Like, what is the impact from even a cost perspective? Why are we doing this? One of the major reasons is the environmental impact in a positive way that this, ha- that this has. Yeah. Um, but doing that and giving you that context invites you into the project, right? And it's really important. That's the feedback I gave him. I was like, you need to bring him in. When you just show him something without the context, you are instantly going to get defensive and, yeah. and like in not like in a negative way but you're going to ask those hard questions apart. right yeah but if you bring them into the why and you understand it i think that entirely changes the conversation which it did yeah instead of you coming in with really hard feedback <laughs> and asking why are we doing this what like our packaging is fine i don't yeah. understand what the problem is you are like oh this is this is sweet i love it you know yeah. it changes yeah. <laughs> the entire dynamic and shifts the conversation which uh i think is really important and yeah. i think just always giving context to individuals ahead of time is, is something that I try to strive for. Cause again, it brings people in, it eliminates those questions down the line that eventually just make things more convoluted. So that was a feedback I gave it and they did amazing. They crushed oh, it. it was and incre- it's, it's amazing. It was incredible. And even them showing up with like a sample of what it might look like. I'm a very like, like a visual contextual person. And so I was able to hold that box and be like, Oh, this, yeah, this is great. I mean, for all the, right. all the reasons. And what what was occurring to me while you were talking was I think that a lot of the one reason that people might struggle to like do all the work you just talked about is sometimes you do that work and the answer is a no. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) That is for sure. That's a tough place sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, That sucks. What is something small and obscure you love about Gooder? Uh, yeah. Uh, the punctuality here. I love, uh, I love how we are on time, but like, aggressively on time yeah like i love being in a meeting and if let's say 2 30 someone shows up at 2 30 you are going to get roasted in that meeting yeah. people are going to look at you and be like what the fuck's your problem why are you late <laughs> yeah and, and like sure there's a little pettiness to it but like we've all worked at places where people it's like normal to show up two to five minutes late and yeah. it's infuriating because yeah. like i do believe that i mean time is our most valuable asset and by you even showing two to five minutes late you don't respect that and it also throws off the entire flow of the meeting so I love just how we've kind of created this like self-policing culture of like, oh, oh, look who's showing up late today, yeah. even though it's too, like they're, it's on the dot, but like not really allowing for people to slide and show up late and holding people accountable to that. I, I love because I think it's really important. I think another really important thing for me about, the, I mean, I love punctuality too, yeah. is 
if you know being on time is important and you know there's a room full of people waiting for you and you, yeah. s- and you still you, you still are late or it's okay to be late but if, you, if you're late and you're not self-aware if you don't walk in and be like i'm really sorry like hey this is the stuff i'm seeing what am i not seeing right for sure, for sure. <laughs> it scares me to death. We have a base agreement to be here at 2.30. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know why, like, we agreed on this. You accepted. <laughs> this is the uh, Culture Gooder podcast. Uh, in the context of the workplace, uh, what does culture mean to you? Yeah, I mean, when I think about culture, I really think think of it like the foundation, the DNA of a brand, right? I think it's really easy to think about the culture workplace. And the word workplace, right, you instantly kind of put it, oh, anything inside the wall. Yeah. So it's like the ping pong table, yeah. or it's like the lunch being served, but... I think one thing we do really well here is that our values and our culture is intertwined and weaved into everything that we do, right? Yeah. And talking about it specifically to creative, when we approach things that we do, it's, is this living into our values? Are we speaking to being unabashedly yourself, right? It's not just something different or about achieving business goals. Yeah. It's, it's being focused on our values and our principles. So it's really about, you know, having that intertwine and that DNA. And again, that strong foundation to build off of that. I think is huge for culture and something we focus on. So what are the three common characteristics you think of the people who thrive here at Gooder? Ooh, three. Three, okay. three. All right. Uh, well, easy one. I, creative. I think everybody here is creative, right? Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I think that's really important. Even if you're doing, I don't know, finance or accounting, like there's a lot of creativity involved in that. Yeah. So I think that's really important. Um, let's see. Driven goes without saying, but I think you have to have drive. And then the last one, this is the most important, I think it encompasses everything, is just you have to be able to strive in an autonomous environment, right? So how you're able to take that autonomy that is given, because we give people a lot of latitude here to to see projects, to find problems, to present solutions and make something happen. So for a lot of people, that is a, a daunting experience to not have a direct roadmap on how to make something happen. But if you can come into, you know, gooder or in this environment and take projects from start to finish and, and thrive in an autonomous nature, I think that's a huge characteristic that will uh, ultimately lead to your success here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I love your, you know, lead the creative heart and creatives on there. Of course. Yeah, of course. Context, that, that yeah. Sense. I, I agree that I think sometimes people miss, they say things like, oh, uh, I'm not creative. And they associate like painting or design right. with creativity. But Man, the most creative people here actually, I think, are the most dialed and organized and allows them to be super creative. Right. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It's very real. We value feedback here at Gooder. Oh, yeah. Give me some feedback with something I can be doing better. Okay. Uh, well, I'll give you two. <laughs> and then you can edit it out. Uh, well, so I'm going to soften you up with a compliment. All right. And then I'm, so you're softened up. So when I strike you down, it's All not right, as hard. Great. Uh, so I think you, you have an innate ability in an incredible and you're incredibly gifted at solving problems and yeah. solving problems really quickly. I think you can see a, a problem at the beginning and you'd see it through the end in real time. I think the feedback in this situation is I think when you're talking to, especially flock leaders, I think before you jump into the solution you see, leading with curiosity, yeah. right? Asking questions around, hey, uh, you know, what work have you done on this problem that I'm seeing? You know, what are some of the solutions you've came up with? And then like in that moment, I think, you can get feedback on, but in that situation, I think you instill more confidence versus the you know alternative, which is more dependence on you, right? Sure. And I think that's a powerful thing of kind of like giving the pin back, which is major. No, right? I, I I agree. When we were we were, I was working, we were all working yesterday on things we can level up as leaders, and one of mine was patience, which I think is directly related to what you're saying. Is yeah. just I need to have more patience 
with people and like like lead with that curiosity instead right. of just like yeah yeah now, yeah now, now, for now, sure now. for sure yeah uh oh on the second one yeah it's here i mean uh well you're a super laid back chill guy what i love all these podcasts is they're really direct i just i loosen up get conversational <laughs> i, I want to like I, it's tough like i know there's like obviously a script and things like that but um i think there's an element of just creating more conversational elements to this and loosening up and inviting people in in that way um because i know you show up prepared and dialed for everything but maybe embracing some of the uncertainty and the uncomfortableness and letting that shine because i do think it creates a little bit more of a inviting atmosphere yeah well you're not alone. Yesterday during our podcast meeting, that was for sure feedback yeah. from I think a couple of different people. Yeah, which which is very real. It almost feels like I was actually thinking about this today as we were setting up here. You know, we have we're kind of upright right now. Right. When we're we're going to make a podcast, we're like, do we make it more of a couch? Do we make it more of a, a lounge vibe? Right. for that. That's I mean, that's what I thought it was. I mean, yeah. I have terrible posture in a chair, so I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna look like trash on this, but yeah. couch. Yeah. Slink back. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that'd be really cool. And I think that's that's uh definitely a step in the right direction. No, no, point taken. It is a it is a it's something that you are not the first one in the past week to oh, say. Oh wow, you're getting bombarded. <laughs> well, yeah. Because yeah. all the people have to listen to the podcast to do the work beforehand. They're like, all right, we gotta like make help help this flow out. Yeah, okay. Fair. We we're all we're all trying to get better, me, yeah. me, me, me included. What so the you love music, obviously. Uh, you love faking. You love music. Um, yeah, or, you know, yeah. uh, you, what's something about creating music that you know has made you a better leader? Yeah, uh, man, that I really didn't set myself up for success. Oh, I here. love it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just the faking. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I definitely think patience and, and perseverance. Um, not to just draft off you talking about patience, yeah. but um, you know, there are certain times where I will pick up my guitar and for whatever reason, the like the cosmic forces that have led me to that moment are just aligned and I can't miss. I feel like I feel like I thought I looked when I turned my bass all the way down. <laughs> like I'm actually executing on this. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, there's that. And then there are days that are the exact opposite where I'll pick this thing up and my hands turn to like bratwurst. It's like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like upside down. But what I feel like over time, what I've learned is you know, I, I've learned to appreciate those moments, the the latter moments, right? Yeah. The frustrating moments, because it it really is part of the whole process. And you learn a lot in those moments of like, how can you persevere through this? And from a leadership perspective, I think that's really important, right? There's a process. Like not everything is going to be sunshine, daisies and roses, right? Like accepting that there's a lot of work and there's a process to this that's important and that's going to be tough, but that'll ultimately get you to a better moment and a better situation yeah. yeah do you think process is really important especially when you're struggling to be creative yeah i mean i do i think they're uh i think repetition and getting into the process and in creating the conditions to consistently approve is important if that makes sense yeah. so and i think that comes from process to you know not force yourself to be creative of course but just to give yourself the space and process to get into being creative, even if you don't feel it, because eventually you work yourself out of it. And I do believe you emerge on the other side uh, better at yeah. the end of the day. I uh, I mean, to draft off this, yeah. um, I was this, uh, watching this TikTok, because that's, of course, how I get all my information <laughs> these days. But there's this guy who was talking about uh, how he was listening to Bob Dylan's entire anthology from start to finish, which yeah. is a feat, because he has a ton of music, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. But he talked about this thing, which I thought was fascinating. He's like, you know, on one album, which was probably lesser known, 
you know, you could hear him try something and it sounded terrible yeah. and it didn't work. Yeah. But then when he said it was interesting is like two or three albums later, you'd hear him try it again, but it would be elevated and evolved Ooh. and it would be perfect. Right. And I think there's a similarity there. I'm not saying I'm not comparing myself to Bob Dylan, like, <laughs> but there's like a similarity there and something that I think about when we like here at Gooder, like even from a creative standpoint, if you remember uh, some of the first prints we did on our oh, sunglasses yeah. were garbage. Yeah, they were like they were bad. Um, but eventually we didn't give up on it. We iterated and I'll remember the moment with the comic book pair. You remember picking those oh, up fuck yes. and being like, oh my God, like shocked at what we were able to get to versus where we were. And I think there's just that nature of accepting that something may not be working right at the moment, but understanding that there's a, a kernel of something there to continuously iterate on is going to ultimately land on something impactful. And the comic book pair is a great example because that thing came out wild. Yeah, I mean, for a long time, we've, you know, one of our, uh, you know, kind of side rules we play by is always done is better than perfect. Right. Kind of teaching that, like, hey, let's just, let's yep. rapidly do it. But as we get bigger, you've actually commented more recently on like, hey, done is better than perfect. Also, you know, um, don't be sloppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe speak to that and like kind of what, what you've seen that, that you want to be mindful that we don't just get lazy in the interest of done is better than perfect. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is like what, what was done like five years ago is not acceptable today. Right. Yeah. And what was perfect back then is maybe done now. So like the, the, the scales shift. That's and, fair. and I think like, that's the important thing to remember. And so it's one of those things where there's moments where that makes sense, but um, there's obviously the John Wooden quote, like be quick, but don't hurry. Yeah. Of course. Right. That we talk about, um, and maybe Kelly's talked about in her <laughs> yeah. podcast, but, um, from a creative standpoint, right? Like there are certain things that we, like the standard has shifted, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. And being cognizant of that, if like the baseline of being done is not the same as it was five years ago. So, um, yeah, I mean, maybe I can start. No, no, I mean, I, but no, I, I think you're right. I mean, going back to the Bob Dylan analogy, Bob Dylan's not comparing himself to other people. He, Bob Dylan's comparing himself to Bob Dylan. Right. And For so, sure. you know, he's yeah. trying to be better than better than him himself. And you're right. Like our, our scale does go up. But how do we make sure that we let everybody know our scales moved? For sure. And I think just over time, as we've gotten more successful, as we've done more absurd things, right, the consumer is expecting more. Right. And so not resting on your laurels and continuously pushing that to a different level. There's an expectation there, both internally and externally, that uh is important. And the stakes change too, right? They do. We're now verified on Instagram big time. So <laughs> oh, we're a yeah. real company. So we got to be serious about this. One thing I've been thinking about recently in, in the same vein is I've heard this, I don't know, joke or adage for a musician where, you know, you have your entire life to make your first album. Then you have two years to make your second album. Yeah. And the first albums are, are amazing. I think that's a lot of reason why you see kind of like a sophomore slump uh, with musicians and, and here Gooder. I've felt this to some degree at times where do these amazing things and projects and continually level up, but then it is impossible to keep outdoing yourself at some degree. Yeah. I don't know if you, if you felt this before where like I have given next level talks and sometimes I just give a good talk and I actually have to be like, ah, oh, man, it wasn't next level, but everything can't be next level. Right. Uh, for sure. I think what's, uh, I think the best example of that is uh, our holiday series line. Yeah. I feel like we we ebb and flow with that thing. One year, it just doesn't quite land. One year out of nowhere, it crushes. But I think, <laughs> and then the next year after, it's just, it's up and down all the time. Um, but what I do love and kind of back to the Bob Dylan thing is like, we do compare ourselves to ourselves, yeah. right? So we're not looking externally. And I think we always try to look at something and be like, how can we 
change this in a unique way. So it's not just a slight iteration of what we knew was successful, you know? And I yeah. think that's something I, I love here because we swing big, right? We play big, we, we take big swings. Sometimes you knock it out of the park and sometimes you absolutely strike out. <laughs> um, but, and I, and I really compare that to the holiday series because I think there are ones that we've just knocked out and some's that, some that just unfortunately don't I land. I mean, 4th of July this year, not, not quite there, yeah, unfortunately. The- uh, well, that's a good comparison because we do it every single year. Every single year. So, and sometimes it's great, sometimes it's garbage. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing here, good, or what would it be? Uh, oh, man. Uh, decks. Yeah. Presentations. This is, this is a hot, I feel like this is kind of spicy because we are, we're a big presentation company. We've got, uh, we make a lot of slides and a lot of presentations, yeah. but I do want to create the conditions in certain meetings to kind of remove the expectation of a presentation mm-hmm. because... There's a lot of times where, I mean, even kind of going back to the feedback I was giving you about the rigidity of it, right? Like you'll be in a presentation and you, your eyes just go to what's on the deck and what's yep. on the screen and it becomes kind of formulaic and robotic. Whereas like an organic conversation, I think can lead you down something maybe more nuanced and direct and get to the crux of an issue versus just skimming through the surface. And I, and this is really for like one-on-ones and maybe weekly meetings rather than being like top three wins of the week. And my <laughs> biggest, like those things are important in certain contexts, but I think to really get sometimes the core of issues, having a more organic free flooring conversation can be more beneficial. Do you think it would be a thing where we would, there's a, I, I don't disagree actually. I, I've toyed with sometimes, you know, we have a, we have, for our listeners out there, we have a standard slide where you, you have like purpose, mm-hmm. wild success rules. We play bar deli- deliverables and those are important. But when people are talking, I would actually rather prefer some, like that is a thought exercise. Somebody coming like, all right, today we're talking about packaging. Right. And here's really what's going on. And there's almost, so, we need, uh, here's the better question. We, I think you need to force a certain amount of this behavior to instill the habit and to force people to think it through so they show up dialed. Right. Like how do we go from, how do we go like instilling that habit, um, um, Instilling that habit, but not having people handcuffed to it. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, it, it's tough. I don't, it's, it's definitely a practice, but I mean, I, I feel like we've done that to some extent, right? Like people know the NASA checks. Uh, I guess like Carl's Blueprint is kind of a good example, right? Going from Carl's flight plan where like we had everything categorized, yeah. but like, like, but having that starting point is great because it forces habit and things to know. But then we got to Carl's Blueprint where we cut 90% of the tasks yeah. out because People knew about it, right? So it's kind of like, yeah, how do you create a process that gets instilled in people so they they know the flow and what to address? Um, it's like a varsity pan. That's like, it's like, all right, once like, once you do a hundred yeah, salty, right. like, like, like great decks, you get a varsity pan. Yeah. Like, cool, you're good. We don't we don't need to see your decks anymore. Well, varsity jacket, varsity jacket, yeah, yeah. jacket, jacket. Put the pins, put the pins on. On. yeah, right. first. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how have you challenged the status quo lately? Uh, whew, yeah. Um, I think just the projects we're doing with the Illuminati, I think there is a lot of challenging the status quo in that. We're taking processes that we've used forever and just completely obliterating it. I mean, you saw the launch lockdown last week, which is funny is, is like, it's probably the best one we've ever done. Yeah. And then we're about to blow it up in two weeks. So I think there's a lot of challenging the status quo there as well as um, other projects that are encompassed in there that I think are ultimately very important to the next evolution and phase of the brand. Yeah. What... I was going to ask, like, tell me about a recent fuck up, but actually what I'd rather ask is the, our flock up of the year award was your idea. Oh yeah. Uh, talk about that and why you think it's so important. Yeah. Uh, 
I mean, I, I talked kind of ad nauseum on this about failure because I do believe in it um, because I do believe like taking big swings is where you get big results. But ultimately, not everything lands. Right. Yeah. And so the biggest thing with the flock up of the award, flock up of the year award is just showcasing that we I mean, it, it's tough because people don't want to win it. But yeah. like at the same time, like celebrating those failures, celebrating the risk. Right. Like it's not like the award is necessarily the the biggest failure but it's to the person who took the biggest risk and yeah. maybe it didn't turn out as you had anticipated right it's not like somebody left the door open and robbed all of our units and <laughs> you know it's like yeah. it's more something nuanced than that um but i think it's important to like create the conditions as a culture to celebrate that and showcase that you know it's an acceptable part of your role and, yeah. and your job and the brand and the culture to hopefully encourage people to take those bigger swings and take those risks yeah i love it i think it's such a fun way to draw attention to failure is not only okay it's expected and we're going to give an award for it <laughs> yeah yeah for sure not only that but you also get uh coupons for, oh yeah. yeah coupons for kickout coupons so you can get you can kick kick anybody out of a conference room at any time 20 times a year so if you need a conference room just kick them out i wish we just had a knock at the door oh, I, I wish I, I mean i really do i've been i've been waiting for that moment no one's using on me which well, is disappointing sean got it last sean got it last year so it would be sean like sean man we're on the same team oh, recording a podcast episode. True. i wish that'd be great uh all right last question what are you most proud of at your time here at gooder uh yeah i, I think kind of drafting off the the pitch of palooza and this may be like a little cliche and cheesy but I think creating the processes and the conditions for people to really enjoy what they do, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think Pitchapalooza is an opportunity like that. But from a creative standpoint, like giving people the space and autonomy to execute and create something that they find hilarious and absurd and just giving people the opportunity to do that. Because I firmly do believe like if you're in a meeting and you're brainstorming and you're you find something so hilarious and everyone's laughing, like those are the moments yeah, you should yeah. be executing on. And I think for me personally, it, it, I'm working on it more now, but allowing the space and creating the space for those things to be executed. Because at the end of the day, if, if you're not executing on those things that you find hilarious, then, you know, what are you doing? What's the point? What's the point? Yeah. So, yeah. Couldn't agree more. You want to you wanna say, uh, go Gophers, get us out of here? Oh, go Gophers. Sky, you might roll the boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to the Culture Gooder podcast. To submit questions for the podcast, learn more about our culture, and learn how you can status the quote challenge, head over to gooder.com slash culture. And don't forget to subscribe to us wherever you're listening, including on YouTube, where you can now watch all of our new episodes. Who knows? You might even catch a glimpse of Carl at our headquarters if he's not already passed out at the tiki bar from all the margaritas. 